We're starting a new series this morning called Rejected Grace. For the next six weeks, we're going to be studying the book of Jonah. I know Lori just read from the book of Genesis, which is a little confusing. We'll talk about that in a minute. We're going to be studying the book of Jonah. You can turn there now because I'll be talking most of the time about different things in Jonah. Hopefully, Jonah is a story that we're all fairly familiar with, especially one particular part. It's the story of Jonah and the whale, that's right, or the great fish or the big fish or, you know, whatever. Uh, We associate Jonah, or at least I had or have for a long time, more with kind of VBS or children's church or that sort of a thing. There's an animal in the story, so the kids like it. But Jonah, which is fine, kids should like it, but Jonah is a sharp, penetrating word to all of God's people, not just the kids. In our last sermon series in 1 and 2 Corinthians, we tried to understand what it was that God does all day. That was kind of the big question. What does he do? And the answer is that he makes all things new. And we tried to think about how we can join him in that. And in this series, in the company of this grumpy, whiny prophet, we will explore why we don't always like what we see God doing. Often we reject God's grace in the form that he's giving it, especially when he's giving it to other people or people different from us. We ignore the fullness of his invitation because we don't want to get involved. We've got our own problems. Loving people that are different from us is really hard. And while living in China, I had many what we may call joining Jonah moments. There were many meals with friends when some horrendous corruption of biology was set in front of me and presented as food, which I was expected to eat and visibly enjoy. And I would lean back and pray in those moments, sweet Lord, just kill me right now. (laughs) Living in another country is an uncommon example. Not all of us have done that, but we all face situations where we are called to love and serve people who are not part of our group, whether that's Christians, Americans, the company we work for, white people, etc., We're all faced with situations where we're called to minister and love to people who are outside of our group. And it's really hard to do that well, and we shouldn't pretend that it's not. But we must learn and stretch and grow ourselves because bringing all different types of people, all tongues, nations, uh, and tribes together under one good king is exactly the business that our God is in. So this first sermon is sort of an overview of Jonah. I want to offer you a big picture idea that will hopefully be helpful for us throughout this whole series. And that big picture idea is our single sentence sermon summary, which I believe will be up on the screen and you can write that down. Trust that you are what Jesus says you are, and what you are is a witness. Trust that you are what Jesus says you are, and what you are is a witness. So this morning, I want to introduce Jonah a little bit, talk about Genesis chapter 12, the passage that Lori read a little bit, draw your attention to the good and the bad ways that we join Jonah, and then at the very end, which will be in just a few minutes, I promise you, I'll give you a couple of questions, two questions uh, that I insist uh, you think about over these next six weeks as we study this book together. And so Jonah is a story about God's all-encompassing grace and how God's people reject, resist, and otherwise try to control that grace. Now, Jonah was a prophet, and that may be an unfamiliar word, but what that means is the nation of Israel 
had these people called prophets that God would call, and, and for the most part, they had four qualities or characteristics. Insight, foresight, compassion, and courage. Insight to understand current events from God's perspective. Foresight of the threats and promises in the future. Compassion for those harmed by and harming in their sin. And courage to speak truth to those with power to kill, injure, or mock. You don't have to read very far into the book of Jonah to begin to realize how much he was lacking in most of those four qualities. The prophets brought messages from God to his people. And I believe Jonah is alone in being a Hebrew prophet that is not sent to his own people, at least in the story that's in the Bible, but sent to a Gentile nation, sent to people who are not in covenant with God. And the people Jonah was sent to were the Assyrians, whose capital was Nineveh. And if you know nothing else of the ancient Assyrians, know this, that they were terrible. Ruthless conquerors, torturers, you can find Google pictures, well not real pictures, they didn't have cameras, but you know, somebody carved something on a wall, just the terrible things they would do. The Ninevites were bad news. Their wickedness had piled all the way up to God's throne, it says right there at the beginning of Jonah. It's not hard to sympathize with Jonah's reaction to God's command. And the question could be asked, well, why did God send Jonah to the Ninevites? Wasn't Israel his chosen people? Couldn't he have just destroyed the Ninevites like they did all those other nations? Like, why does God particularly care? And the story that Jonah found himself in by being a member of the covenant was a story about God working with Abraham's family, the nation of Israel, to bring the blessings of the covenant to all the peoples of the earth. You look back at Genesis chapter 12, specifically verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Israel was God's chosen people, but he chose them for the nations. Israel received blessings from God in order to be a blessing to everybody else. Now, some people read the Bible and come away thinking that God plays favorites. Why would it ever be if God's the God of everybody? Why would he choose one particular people? That's really not true. If you, if you actually read the whole thing, you'll find that often it doesn't seem like God really particularly likes the Israelites. He stays in covenant with them, but he doesn't particularly always like them. And they don't always particularly like him. Being God's chosen people is often a rough job. Just ask Jonah. Being the chosen people of God came with both privileges and perils under the old covenant. Maybe we can think of it I don't know if this is a good metaphor, but it's the one I came up with. It's sort of like working at a nuclear power plant. You get paid well, and you provide power to the town, but if you don't do your job right, your face could get melted off. God tells Abraham to leave his country and go be a blessing, which is more or less what he tells Jonah. That's the story Jonah finds himself in, what it means to be an Israelite, one of God's people. Go and be a blessing. But in chapter 1, Jonah says, nope, and sails in the total opposite direction. 
God doesn't let Jonah get away and sends a terrible storm upon the boat. And the sailors, who are pagan, they're not Israelites, realize that Jonah is the cause of this disaster, and Jonah has them throw him overboard. Perhaps, the text doesn't say this, but perhaps thinking that he would drown to death and be done with it. But the Lord says, not so fast, and sends a great creature of the sea to swallow Jonah and carry him safely back to shore. We're meant to chuckle at that. The fish catches the man. What kind of a weird story is this? It ought to be the other way around. In chapter 2, Jonah delivers a prayer of praise and thanks from inside the whale, and when it does finally vomit him back onto the beach, he seems to take the hint and he heads for Nineveh. In chapter 3, Jonah preaches eight words, eight words, at least in the NIV. You can go count them. And the city repents. Even the cows put sackcloth on. This wonderful turn of events causes Jonah to hate his life and accuse God of being too full of mercy in chapter 4, and then he waits to see whether God will go ahead and destroy Nineveh anyway, because, you know, God occasionally does that kind of thing. God does not, but he does cause this nice big shady plant to grow over top of Jonah so that he's blocked or he's shaded from the sun, and Jonah is very pleased by this. Then the following day, God sends a worm to eat the plant and a scorching wind to blow on Jonah's head. Jonah is so upset about the plant dying that he himself wants to die. And right there, I think is where the story leaps up off the page and smacks us. Because we see that Jonah is far more concerned with his own temporary comforts and conveniences than he is with the salvation and flourishing of an entire city. We realize how often that same wickedness is carried in our hearts. Jonah, who is the one Israelite who appears in the book, is the least faithful creature in the whole bunch. The Gentile sailors fear God and make offerings to him. The Ninevites repent. The storm, the whale, the cattle, the plant, the worm, the wind, all obey God without any grumbling or complaining. We chuckle, and we ought to. I think it's intentional there. We were meant to go, oh, silly, silly man, until the Holy Spirit turns it around, and we realize that we're meant to put ourselves in Jonah's shoes. We, as followers of Jesus, God's chosen people, our covenant, or our, our covenant, our counterpart in this tale is not the Ninevites, It's Jonah, this unwilling, pitiful prophet. The book of Jonah ends with a question. You can turn to chapter Jonah, chapter Jonah, Jonah chapter 4 and look at it. It ends with a question, and it's the only book of the Bible to do so, which I don't know what that means, but it probably means something. And the question God asks Jonah in chapter 4, verse 11 is this, Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. And Jonah ends with a question because we, the readers, the people of God, are intended to answer it. God wants us to take a long, hard look at our calling, our prejudices, our clinging to comfort, and his gigantic grace, and to give him an answer to that question. We all have joining Jonah moments, sometimes several in the course of a single day. And as much as we are able to see ourselves or put ourselves in Jonah's shoes, the more deeply we can be formed and changed by his story. There are many good ways that we join Jonah. We are members of God's chosen people. We have received the word of God. We are saved from the deep ocean of death. God listens to us when we pray. The most important good similarity is that we are called and responsible to be witnesses to what God has done. 
We're not prophets in exactly the same way as Jonah. None of our stories will be turned into scripture. I like to think so sometimes, but it won't. None of our stories will be turned into scripture. Rather, our, sto- our stories are shaped by the scripture. But we carry the same calling to be a witness. When you become a daughter or son of God, you become involved in what he's up to. You play a part in finishing the story. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. In 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Just like Abraham, God tells us to go and to be a blessing. But we don't always. Because we don't only join Jonah for the good bits. We also join Jonah in his disobedience, prejudice, and rejection of God's grace to other people. We, like Jonah, don't want to do what God asks us to do. Not all the time. We run from God sometimes. We ignore his warnings sometimes. We care far too much about what keeps us happy and comfortable. What a day to have the air conditioning go out. We become angry over things that do not matter. I've had more joining Jonah moments than I'd like to admit. I was traveling in the far west of China a few years ago and caught some infernal virus. I have no idea what it was, probably because somebody hadn't washed their hands before cooking my food. And that night I laid there in a cot, suffering the worst fever I've ever experienced, texting Dad, and I think it was a Sunday morning here, so he was over there in Sunday school getting my, I think this is the end, you know. (laughs) Man, I hated everybody. (laughs) Even before I moved to China, I spent six years in another strange and foreign country, youth ministry. On a winter retreat, I was snoring during the night, and a student threw a snow boot at my face to wake me up. I got up, screamed, hit him on the shoulder. He was a junior in high school, so I felt justified to hit him. It wasn't hard. It was a friendly, you know, don't never do that again. That night, I had a dream after that that I was standing on a dock, and this student was down in the water with a gigantic snake, and he cried for me to help him, but I just stood there and watched the snake eat him. <clears throat> I don't know if that was a prophetic dream or not, but I just saw him last night. He's great, doing great. Man, I was mad. We are witnesses, just like Jonah, but we also do not trust our calling. We reject our witness witness responsibility, just like Jonah. I read somewhere, I don't remember where, but it was a few months ago, but I read somewhere the sentence that we are the stories that we tell about ourselves. I think there's a lot of truth to that statement. We are the stories that we tell about ourselves. If you tell yourself bad stories, I'm not good enough, nobody really cares about me, that doesn't make those stories true, but it does make you live like they're true. We also use stories to define ourselves over and against other people, right? I am an Israelite, which means I am not a Ninevite, right? And we could fill in the blanks with whatever we want to put there, Democrats and Republicans or Americans and Chinese or, you know, whatever. It's an endless list because humans love to put themselves in little boxes. By itself, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like, the differences are real, and the stories we tell help us to see them, and it's not bad at all, I think, to acknowledge the differences between people. But I think often there's a small shift that happens, and I think it had happened in Jonah's heart, and this is part of why God had him endure this experience. I am an Israelite, which means I am not a Ninevite, 
which means I can hate the Ninevites. Or even worse, I am an Israelite, which means that God is an Israelite, which means that God hates the Ninevites too. But as we've seen, for an Israelite to hate the Ninevites means that the Israelite is no longer an Israelite because the Israelite is a blessing for the Ninevites. The story of Jonah wants us to know that God is so much bigger than whatever group we're a part of. And the groups aren't bad, but thinking that God belongs to whichever one you happen to belong to is. And we join Jonah in his mistaken thinking because the stories we tell about ourselves are not good enough. They're too narrow, too much defined by what we're not. And so in the large scope, the book of Jonah is an invitation to trust and live into the story that God is telling about us. If you are a member of God's covenant people, if you have faith in Jesus, then you are a part of the story that he is telling, and his story is broader and better than the ones you tell yourself. Jesus is the good witness that you and I and Jonah regularly fail to be. Jesus is the last and the best prophet. He has insight. He could see what was really going on in people's hearts. He had foresight. He knew what they were going to do to him, and he could see the new creation victory on the other side. Jesus has deep and overflowing compassion on the harassed and helpless crowds who did not know their right hand from their left. And Jesus has immense courage, letting go of everything that the Father asked him to, including his own life, going where the Father sent him, speaking the words that the Father put within him. Jesus didn't have to deal with the inconvenience of a wilting tree. He was nailed to a tree. The Ninevites were saved despite Jonah's disobedience. We are saved because of Jesus' perfect obedience. We are recipients of the good news that Jesus Christ was crucified for our sins, raised again for our new life, and now reigns over all things. And the story he tells about us is a good one. We are his witnesses, and his insight, foresight, compassion, and courage are available for us. Trust that you are what Jesus says you are, and what you are is a witness. Finally, lastly, in conclusion, I want to offer you those two questions that I mentioned earlier. Write them down, make a note. I strongly urge you to think on these things over the next six weeks. I think it'll be very profitable for us as we study Jonah, for myself foremost. The first question is this, what have I witnessed what have I witnessed? What is your good news story? And I'm not talking about a theological statement. Those are useful, usually not in conversations. I'm asking how have you personally experienced Jesus in you and through you? If someone were to ask what your faith is all about, and that does happen occasionally, and many of us have had those experiences, when the time comes for somebody to ask, if all you can come up with is some, something vague about coming to church on Sundays, brothers and sisters, that's not nearly good enough. And I'm not saying that we all have to explain the gospel backwards and forwards and use all the fancy terms, not at all. But I am saying that we all have a simple story about what Jesus has done for you. What have I witnessed? And the second question is this. Who would I have a hard time telling? Now, Calvary is a loving community. 
We've had folks who are different from us be a part of life here and have been welcomed and have been a part of what's going on, and that's a good and a happy thing. So I imagine for many of us, this question could be hard to answer. Well, who, who would I have trouble telling? When Clayton and I were kind of praying and planning this series, we asked ourselves, like, who are our Ninevites? Who do I hate so much that I'd rather die than do good to? But let me adjust the question a bit, I think, and this helps clarify. Who do you have a hard time speaking well of? That could be an individual. It could be a group. Who do you have a hard time speaking well of? Because if you can't say nice things, if you can't say good things about them, you will find it very difficult to say good things to them. Who do I have a hard time speaking well of? Who would I have a hard time telling? Those are our two questions. What have I witnessed? Who would I have a hard time telling? I encourage you to bring those questions each Sunday. I, I will. And to lay our answers before the Lord as we study and explore Jonah together. In Luke 24, it says, Then Jesus opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning with Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. May we be a people who trust that we are witnesses, just as Jesus has told us. Amen.